Welcome back to a new episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. I'm your host, Stan Kozovac. Born and raised in Los Angeles, I'm now living in Zagreb and studying the Croatian language. Before we start, just do me a favor and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, as well as the Facebook and Instagram page. In this series, I'll be talking with people both in the homeland and around the globe who have connections to Croatia. We'll hear from startups, returning diaspora, musicians and athletes, and the biggest Croatian celebrities that will return my calls. But enough about me. Idem odalje, and let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, our special guests are Mate Pavkovic and John Gasparac. Uh, they're president and vice president of the organization Crow Diaspora. Now, Crow Diaspora is a nonprofit organization that's run by Croats passionate about improving Croatia through economic solutions and assisting those abroad with their challenges in doing business and returning to Croatia. And a little more specifically, they run webinars, organize events, and develop resources to help Croats around the world do more business and ultimately return to Croatia. So today we're going to hear a little bit more about Crow Diaspora and how they can help. Thanks for coming on the podcast, guys. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Um, so I want to start just, you know, if you guys can give us a little background about yourselves, you know, introduce yourselves um, in terms of your connection to Croatia as well. Sure, John, would you like to start? Sure, I guess. Age before beauty, right? So, um, yeah, um, I'm actually, I've been in Croatia uh, since 1997. Um, I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada. Uh, both my parents are Croatian and uh, I was so second, second, first generation born in Canada. And I moved out here in 1997 uh, to help uh, start the Price Waterhouse offices. Uh, yeah, there was two of us on board at the time, and now it's 25 years later. We're about 240 people. I'm the managing partner here. Um, I will say that I did spend uh, two and a half years in Moscow in, in from 204 to 206, but again with PwC, and then and then returned here, right? And so my connection is very strong in terms of it was business related. Uh, yeah, I, I love the country, but I never had a plan to come come here, live my life here. I just thought I was going to come for a couple of years, so. That's kind of it for now, but we can touch on more later, I guess. Go ahead, Mate. So, also, like John, like one of my parents is Croatian. My dad is from Herzegovina originally, but my mom is actually American. I came back about five years ago. I decided to do my MBA at the Cyber School of Economics and Management. Then I lived a little bit in France, came back to Croatia, worked various different jobs. And then, you know, I, we started Crow Diaspora a couple of years ago. And we started it during, before the pandemic, but then um, unfortunately the pandemic made us uh, pivot to doing mostly everything online. We were trying to organize a conference, but uh, yeah, so my background is, you know, I'm half Croatian, but same thing. Like I grew up in the Croatian community in Canada and I was always passionate about Croatia. I always wanted to come back. So this is a dream come true. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what that's what my next question I wanted to ask. You know, were you guys involved in the Croatian community going up? So maybe if you can elaborate a little more on that. You know, what's the community like over there? Um, sure. Um, I, yeah, I was of course very involved. Um, I grew up in the community of Vancouver from going to church Sundays and and uh, Saturdays. We had Croatian school to and um, playing soccer for Vancouver Croatia Soccer Club and being involved there and and all the functions that come around that and around the Croatian Dome. So. You know, I feel like uh, I still feel today like I'm still, a, you know, uh, a member of that community and definitely feel welcome whenever I go back there. 
So um, that's that's kind of how, how it was for me from my side uh, at, a, at a time when Croatia was not yet recognized as a country. Right? So that was, you know, I'm a bit older, quite a bit older than uh, Mata. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s in Vancouver, and that was a little bit different than uh, you know people who grown up with uh, with having uh, Croatia recognized as a full fledged country. And uh, it was it was very interesting, a lot of fun, and would not not change that experience for anything. Yeah, I, I agree with. John, growing up in the Croatian community, well, it was probably even more passionate before Croatia was recognized. Than when, but I was growing up in the Croatian community in Toronto after 1995. So, like, a lot of people are very passionate about folklore and, and playing soccer. That, that was always a pinnacle. It was usually, like, in the summer you played soccer, and then during the winter you dance kolo, play tambura. So um, I was very involved in the Croatian community up in Norval. That's where all the you know, the Bosanci and the Herzegovci used to go. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, same thing. When I go back to Canada, I'm very, I always say that I was very fortunate to grow up in the Canadian Croatian community because I feel that we were very connected to Croatia, especially in Toronto, being able to come to Croatia every summer and uh, having direct flights from Toronto. And, you know, I, I just felt that there was always a lot of really great activities. We always brought over either Croatian bands or we brought over you know, folklore specialists like Sinisha Leopold and uh, Ivan Chan from Lado. So we were, we had, we had a very um, thriving community in, in Toronto and I was very fortunate to grow up there. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure both those, Vancouver and Toronto, I, I think that there's both really big populations of Croatians over there. And correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, yeah. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely cool to grow up in that community and, um, you know, be able to have that cultural identity, you know, so far from Croatia. So that's obviously cool. And I'm sure that shaped your guys's, um, you know, thinking and then eventually led into, you know, what is now Crow Diaspora. And I want to get into that now. Um, you know, how exactly did that start? Who started that? What was the idea? What was the formation of thinking before that? So originally a couple of years ago, we wanted to organize a conference on Brach. And, you know, then I approached John and I asked them uh, maybe for some support from PwC and maybe we can get some really good speakers to talk at the conference. Then unfortunately, like everything in 2020, everything needed to pivot from in-person to something online. And for the first couple of months, we, you know, canceled our plans to have our conference on Brač. It was supposed to be in May in 2020. Then we pivoted to webinars and we started talking about People were really interested about, you know, the tax system in Croatia, how business works in Croatia, what is, you know, some advantageous uh, avenues to come back to Croatia. And we, you know, saw a lot of success in that. And we continued, uh, actually, over the summer, then we made a nonprofit, Crow Diaspora. And then in the fall, we created the Crow Diaspora Online Summit. So we were pretty successful with that. We wrote many articles and then we started doing policy papers towards the government and they came out with their their 10-year government plan and we had a lot of success in even in June 2020 before we became a nonprofit, we, you know, lobbied the Canadian government to make sure that Croatians would, uh, you know, have their right to vote. So we had various different examples and uh, it just kind of, led us to what, what we're doing today. And that original conference on Brach, 
what organization was that for or what was that part of? So it was for Crow Diaspora and we weren't a nonprofit then, but we were going to organize it as the Crow Diaspora Summit. And uh, instead of having the Crow Diaspora Summit, then we decided to become the Crow Diaspora nonprofit and we started to do things online, online webinars, and then we eventually had our summit. And then eventually it just turned into policy papers, writing articles, you know, promoting returning to Croatia and promoting business in Croatia. Mm-hmm. And then where, where did that start? Uh, the conference on Brach, you know, where did you get the idea to start that? Were you getting people, you know, you just saw a huge interest in people asking all these questions and said, hey, let's, you know, throw something together and, you know, that people can, can listen to and get help? Originally, I, I just see that Croatians around the world, they're very successful in every position that they kind of are given. So personally, I've noticed living in the Canadian community in Canada that like the biggest bank in Canada, for example, uh, the CEO is Victor Dodik, very successful Croatian. You know, uh, the biggest bank in Argentina, once again, CEO, President uh, Zaric, you know what I mean? Like you have a lot of Croatians that are very, like in big positions around the world. And I think that that knowledge is valuable. And personally, I kind of think of places like Israel where they've used their diaspora to really make a prosperous country. And I think, why can't Croatia do the exact same thing? And that's where the whole idea of creating a conference where these people in high positions can uh, share their knowledge and share their perspective on Croatia. And I think that, John, do you have something maybe to add? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would go back even, uh, Matt, if you recall, 2019 when there was a conference in Split. And uh, you were you were a big part of that, and, and I was a moderator in that, and you know that was kind of an idea there, but we saw I think from that point that there was a lot more potential. Um, I know that also later that year I went to the ACAP American Creation Association of Professionals conference in Cleveland. Uh, and Mati, you're also there, of course, <laughs> uh, where you kind of felt uh, the huge number of people, business people, and. Not, not just people who are in big positions in, in big organizations, but people who had their own businesses that they were running and were, you know, could do a lot of things and this appetite to interact and connect with Croatia. And so, you know, when you take that into account, then, and, and uh, when we were trying to set up the conference in Baraj that never happened because of COVID, you know, a lot of the guests and people we had planned to have on panels were people just like that, that, that were, you know, based in the States or based in Canada and had um, fantastic ideas on how to work with Croatia from even, you know, sending, uh, having training people in, 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 from Croatia in the States and bringing them back to Croatia and using them as a service center, for instance, these, these type of ideas were what, you know, really get your juices flowing and start thinking uh, about the, the possibilities. Right. And uh, these so these interactions with other conferences that were, you know, aimed a lot more at business, let's let's say, but but still with Croatia top of mind, I think this won't say inspired us, but just kind of led us to the conclusion we can do way more. And we're based here. Right. So let's let's move forward with this and interact with as many of these organizations as we can to to create a platform that could be global for all Croatians, diaspora anywhere in addition to anybody who's not even got anything to do with Croatia but wants to do something with Croatia as well right so you know keeping it wide open yeah 
And I think, I mean, I think the diaspora, from what I know in Los Angeles, at least, um, you know, just because that's a community that I'm familiar with. I mean, they're so entrepreneurial. Yeah. I mean, so many of them have their own, you know, businesses and are running, you know, construction or flooring or, you know, I know in San Pedro, there's a lot of coastal businesses over there. And so I, so I think just Croatians in general are very, you know, like business oriented, entrepreneurial, always starting things. And, you know, I feel like I always have ideas like, oh, this would be so cool, like in Croatia to start up this business or, or to start up this business. And I feel like I'm always coming up with these ideas. And on that note, I mean, when did you guys sort of make the pivot from, because you're talking about how these conferences were more business oriented, when did you sort of make a pivot with Crow Diaspora to also not only help with business, but with, you know, getting papers and documents and moving back to Croatia? Well, I think that at the end of the day, it always comes back to, um, maybe John could also add on to this, but when you want to return to Croatia, maybe you as well, Stanko, you know that you need to do a lot of paperwork. You need to help people uh, find a way back. And I think the first absolute, I think, most important thing is to show people a feasible way back. So that's when we started with more of the business side. But also I think that one of our goals is definitely trying to show a clear path, streamlining uh, citizenship and trying to show people that, yes, there maybe be there might be some paperwork or a lot of paperwork that you have to do, but at the end of the day, it's worth it. And, you know, like every country, you need to do certain amounts of paperwork, maybe Croatia a little bit more in some instances. But at the end of the day, if you have an idea, I think that it, we just want to show people the easiest path with the least amount of resistance uh, to come back to Croatia. And I think that's, it all kind of stems back into, if you want to open up a business, we're going to help you or help you connect with the best people and help you uh, come back to Croatia with the least amount of resistance. You know, obviously from, from my point of view, I agree with all that fully. I, I, my personal sort of thought was when I was in Cleveland and, and just seeing the, having the interaction I had, because I did a 10 minute little presentation on that. It was a networking session and I was given 10 minutes just to speak about Croatia and I'd be in there three hours because of the interest shown by people. And that's when I, you know, I just realized, like, oh my God, this is much bigger than I think. Right. And, uh, you know, and thinking about some of the stuff PwC does, you know, what we do, the business running here and the fact that people aren't aware that there's a lot of professionals here that can also help. And I was speaking to professionals in the States, but I said, you know, we have offices like, like do our competitors as well. And we're all very well versed in what's going on here. And also hearing the sort of war stories of the nineties when people were getting ripped off, um, when privatization was starting to occur then. And, you know, there's a lot of sad stories of people losing money or coming over and making bad decisions and trying to say, well, listen, that's, that was then, this is now, you know, it's 25, 30 years later. Um, we need to get that record straight and we need to, you know, with the potential the country has, despite all the misgivings of the last three decades of the different scandals and corruption that has occurred, in essence, we're no different than any other country who also have their issues, very similar to this, some even worse, but these do a great job of not speaking about it, right? Uh, you know, keeping a positive image of the country. And there's a very positive image that exists here. We need to, you know, have that voice heard and have people see that and judge for themselves, you know, and not let a negative uh, media in some respects, you know, turn people away. 
where there's opportunity. Because exactly. right? there, and I see the opportunity because uh, you know I'm dealing with investors that are not Croatian. They're coming from everywhere. They're very interested. So if Croatians have money and they do have money and and they want to make a profit. Why wouldn't they do it here? Just like why wouldn't you go to school here if you could get an education that works for you, or come and live here and and do your job from here like a digital nomad. Um, like many other foreigners are doing, because it's a great place to live. And do you think that narrative in the media has changed now? I feel like I see a lot of positive things now about Croatia and, and living yeah, there. Yeah, I, I think it has, but I think a lot of it comes from foreign uh, journalists making an impact. And then, you know, you can't go against that as well, right? There's been a lot of, I think the U.S. has had a lot of, you know, with the, with the direct flights coming from Philadelphia and New York and L.A. the last couple of years, there's been a lot more uh, and a lot more popular people, you know, Magic Johnson and others who showed up on the yachts as well and saying, wow, what a country. You know, you cannot deny that, right? And uh, yeah, so I, I think that's, there's been a, a change in, in the spin, right? A- absolutely. I would just like to add maybe that this was before the pandemic in 2019 that there was so much interest at, you know, the conference that we did in Split, but also the conference in Cleveland, the ACAP conference. And I think that now, because of the pandemic, I think a lot of people reassessed uh, what's important in their lives. And I think a lot of people are saying to themselves, if I'm working online and I'm, you know, working anywhere from a laptop, why wouldn't I do it on the beach and split? And, and it's true, a lot of these people that have now come to Croatia, like Magic Johnson and some other celebrities, has made Croatia very popular as a tourist destination. And I think that Croatia has a huge opportunity uh, you know, to use that momentum and and create, you know, a better investment environment for people to come back and to to live here. Do you think you've seen a shift then since um, pre-COVID and now in uh, people wanting different things? You know, maybe before this is just what I would guess. You know, people were kind of wanting to come here and start businesses at the same time, whereas maybe now people there's more people who are just interested in living here, but you know, like being a digital nomad? Yeah, I, I, I have. And, and I've seen, you know, even in this past fall, there's been several hundred people who moved from uh, Toronto to Croatia, one-way yeah. tickets, um, looking at this. And you know, that's just one example, but it just, even the environment we live in, even in the way we work right now, everybody realizes you can work in a hybrid environment, meaning you can work from anywhere now. That's what I'm seeing in my firm. Um, you don't have to be in the office uh, you could be home, you could be somewhere else, but you're getting the job done because digitally you're able to do it. Uh, the infrastructure is there, the setup is there. And so there's nothing stopping you from completely changing the way, you know, you do things, right? And it goes from industry to industry, but, you know, a lot of service, uh, professional consulting type businesses, a lot of that can be done like that. Not everything, but, you know, everybody, everybody has their own situation, but the opportunity is there. Yeah, I have to agree that I saw quite a few Croatian Canadians come back to to Croatia, as well as people from Australia. They're also trickling in. Uh, maybe that has to do with like the current events in in their own countries, but also I think a lot of people from the very beginning of Corona were reassessing that okay, I'm sitting at home and I'm on a laptop. Why wouldn't I come back to Croatia and you know start something? And also, I think that you can't underestimate Croatia joining the European Union. I think a lot of people now see Croatia more than just, you know, Croatia, the Croatian market. But I think a lot of people also see Croatia as the European market and also European laws and European institutions. So I think that that has also helped 
you know, to the lead up of COVID where people are saying, maybe I can try something in Croatia. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting point. I do want to get into those trends and talk a little about the EU. Um, but before that, I want to backtrack just to specifically Cro Diaspora, um, you know, and what sort of difficulties are people facing? Because we did talk about the difficulties in doing business in Croatia or returning to live there. And I want to ask, what are those difficulties that people are facing today? And then, you know, how exactly are you guys helping with that? I think one of the biggest difficulties that people have is, um, well, from the people that I've been talking to specifically from Canada is obtaining their citizenship. Uh, that is actually one of the biggest things right now where there's many, many people trying to apply and there's big, uh, you know, it's basically people are waiting for months and months and months to just get their citizenship. Uh, I personally, you know, am helping a couple people that I know uh, get their citizenship because first of all, let's say if you're a Croatian citizen but was born in, in Bosnia, for example, like in Livno or in Chiroki or something like that, you need to first get your citizenship in Bosnia or show that you are a citizen in Bosnia before you can get your citizenship in Croatia, like that you're a Croatian from Bosnia before you get your citizenship in Croatia. I think that's one of the biggest difficulties right, right now is kind of streamlining citizenship. And I'm helping people connect with lawyers here in Croatia. And I think that, but also I think the biggest thing is, is that people just want to be more informed about what's really going on in Croatia. And I think that uh, showing people feasible routes on how they can come back. And, you know, I think John has done a, a fantastic job in some of our webinars showing what the tax uh, the tax system is like and showing how different systems and how the way of life is here in Croatia. I think that that's very important because it gives people ideas. And I think that if there's a will, there's always a way. Yeah, I know how it seems like the, the law is so nuanced and there's so many different little parts of it that change depending on, you know, if your dad was born or he got his citizenship before the war or during the war or after the war, it's a different process and you need different mm -hmm. papers and, you know, I'm lucky that I'm in a program right now in Zagreb where they're helping me with that. Um, because without that, you know, I'd, I don't know how I'd be doing that on my own. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely, and I'm sure there's a lot of bureaucracy as, you know, is kind of the stereotype over here. A lot of paperwork and um, it's definitely something difficult that you can't really navigate yourself. Do you see any new laws in the last, I guess, since Corona, the last, what, two years that are sort of making that easier? aside from the digital nomad? Well, recently, I think that they made amendments to the Croatian law to to also people with with that have grandparents or great-grandparents that are Croatian. So obviously, I think that the government does see that there's a need for more Croatian citizens, especially abroad. And there's people that have been in countries like Argentina, Chile for many generations, and now they're like third, fourth generation Croatians. So I think that they definitely see that there's a need, but also I think that in the future, um, I think it's just only a benefit to have more citizens for Croatia and trying to get more of these people back from the diaspora to Croatia. And I think that's that should be the number one strategic goal for the country, in my personal opinion, is because we don't have enough people, as we saw in the recent census. And also there's a big... Uh, gap in the workforce you know there's a lot of people that are needed in the country and I think that this can 
only benefit uh, the government if, if there's more and more people that are able to come back to Croatia and work here and are citizens. I don't know, John, maybe I think they, you can add your perspective. No, that valid, valid point. The one that I just want to say in terms of a law that makes it easier, uh, they also brought in a law, if you may have heard of uh, anybody starting a business coming from abroad, the export, they give you 200,000 kunas to start the business. And um, there's details around that, right? But that's also, you know, had a quite a bit of media attention, you know, in the fall uh, last year as it came out. And I think it, it just underlines the, you know, there is an awareness and a desire to obviously bring people back and increase the population and also try to reverse the brain drain as well. Right? I also think that that's an example that John was saying before that, the negative media attention towards things. Uh, I think that it was received positively at first, but then eventually it was received negatively because it was only for citizens of the EU. But uh, I, I do think that, I do applaud the government for, for creating a program like that. But I think that uh, definitely there is more awareness around you know, the brain drain and people leaving the country. And I think that in the next couple of years, we'll see the government implement more laws for people to return. Uh, maybe even amending this law for the 200,000 kunas to, uh, to pertain to all people that are trying to come back to Croatia, regardless of if they're coming from the EU or not. Mm -hmm. yeah, I know there's a lot of people from outside the EU, you know, Canada, US, Australia, Australia in particular, New Zealand, where there's large communities that are trying to move back. So that would definitely help. Um, you guys talked about, I think it was Mate, talked about lobbying with the Canadian government. Um, do you guys lobby? Are you allowed, not allowed, but are you able to lobby with the Croatian government at all? I mean, I'll just from my, you know, we, we don't, we're not like, uh, if you're talking about cruelty, I, I, I guess we always could. At PwC, we're not lobbying with. We try to work with them a bit. Um, lobbying's, lobbying does exist here, that's for sure, and, and people do try, but it's, it's not at the same level or intensity you see in Canada or the, or the U.S., that's, that's for sure. Um, and well, technically, there's no, there's no law on lobbying in Croatia. It's kind of a gray area in the country. It's, yeah, so it, it's it's trying to get meetings with people to talk about or raise raise issues, right? Um, you do have groups such as AmCham and uh, and other chambers who also write papers to um, effectively give opinions uh, and maybe you know impact the legislature, uh, which in in its own way is a form of lobbying, as far as I'm concerned, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You try yeah. you know represent interests. Of, of you know certain groups um, with a positive you know positive intention there right so I, I think that's um, that's the extent I've seen thus far right uh, and uh, otherwise it's just trying to get meetings with possible decision makers within the government uh, depending on you know the issue you're looking at yeah I should have used a different word I meant that pretty loosely you know just more of working at all with the government and you know being in contact with the government well, uh, I, I would I say that even to... you... Go, go ahead, Matt. Oh, sorry, John. Well, I just want to mention one thing about lobbying, though, is uh, there is every law that is implemented in Croatia needs to go for a public review, meaning there's actually... Um, it, it's called e-sovietovanya, so e-consulting, where you can... Any citizen, I believe, or any organization can actually log on to that website 
and they can actually make comments about the law. It's one, it's one thing to make comments. Uh, I don't know how much the government uh, listens to the comments, but this is one of the ways that you can have your voice heard about laws before they're implemented. And uh, actually, this was very popular the past uh, few months, especially when the government uh, had their ten month, uh, sorry, their ten year plan. And uh, a lot of people did comment on that. And then there's also a couple other laws that a lot of people have uh, raised concern about over that that platform. So that's always an open platform for all people, not just uh, specific lobbying groups. Hmm. And people are doing this online, you know, writing comments saying, oh, I think this and this. Or how does that work? Yeah, so it's just an online program. It's called esavietovanya.ir. And all the new laws, you can, like, let's say if you are, you know, interested in a specific field that the government is going to create regulation about, then you can create notifications that is sent to your email. And actually, I, I signed up for quite a bit of that. And once in a while with Crow Diaspora, if I have something to pertain to the Croatian Diaspora or pertain to, you know, we've also done uh, comments for was it called for the oil and gas industry because we have some people that are energy experts in in the nonprofit. So like in in Crow Diaspora's name they commented on laws pertaining to the energy sector in Croatia. So it's possible. Like if you're an organization or if you're just an individual citizen, you know, democracy doesn't end just uh when you go to the ballot box. It continues when, you know, by consulting and, and going on these platforms. It's one thing to to comment. We don't know how much the government uh, specifically listens maybe to that platform, but it's always there. And I think that it's important that people are involved in uh, all democratic processes, you know. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know of that before. That's something cool to look out for. And yeah, definitely if you're, um, you know, if you, if you have interest in certain industries, that sounds cool that you can put notifications and, you know, when a law pertaining to that, comes up and you can comment on that. Um, you know, Mate, I wanted to ask you a little more about the, the Canadian-Croatian connection. And, um, you know, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the trends over there. What sort of trends are you seeing with the Canadian-Croatians? Maybe I can talk more about my personal story. Uh, my parents are actually thinking of returning to Croatia. And I think that there's a lot of Canadians, and as John even mentioned before, that there's a lot of Canadians that are trying to return to Croatia, uh, maybe because of the situation that has, you know, happened over the past couple months. But uh, I, I think that a lot of Canadians, as I said, we were always very connected. We had direct flights to Croatia, so there's always that main connection anyways. Uh, whereas, for example, people in Australia, they have that connection as well to Croatia, don't get me wrong. But uh, there was a lot of Croatians in Canada that I knew of that used to come over every summer. And when you live further away or you don't have the infrastructure, or you don't have the flights that can come to the country, then you might not visit it as much. But I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying that in Canada, uh, sorry, in Canada, I've personally seen quite a few of my friends that I thought that would never probably come back, that they've decided to come back, even if it's temporarily or they're able to work from here. So I think it's a really interesting uh, story that's coming out of Canada where there's a lot of Canadians really reassessing their lives and coming back to the country that, you know, that they're from, from Croatia. Hmm. How far along are your parents in 
I mean, are they just thinking about it? Are they making efforts into doing it? Where are they at right now? Well, so I talked to my parents and they already sold their homes. So they're, wow. uh, they're very interested in coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently they're for sure in it. Um, John, I wanted to direct one towards you now. Um, you know, it, it, can you talk a little bit more about what kind of businesses you're seeing moving to grow, you know, maybe from a Canadian perspective or, you know, a global perspective, but, you know, what, what sorts of businesses are you seeing now pop up? You know, uh, what, what I'm seeing more now is, is interest from Canadian businesses. And I'll just say, you know, some have a creation flavor to them, but most of them don't. And they're looking in recently, you know, the bigger, the bigger transactions that I've had that Canadian businesses have been in the IT sector, you know, software development, these type of things, right? There's been some good things there. There is some oil and gas, uh, that's, uh, here and, and in Hungary, uh, very interesting that, you know, there's potentially going to be much bigger investment going forward. But, uh, apart from that, I, I would say that there's, there's interest to invest, right? And so it's not so much businesses moving more forward as it is people deciding to invest. And some of them are in the industry, for instance, tourism or, um, hotels. Uh, on the other side, I, I could say that uh, there's real estate development generally, and and there's definitely always interest on the IT developer side, right? Where people see th- there's the interesting part here is, and this is what I wanted to definitely not forget to say is that um, Croatia has a very strong um, IT uh, sort of DNA in terms of the people. And we produce a lot of good, uh, you know, engineers, computer engineers, developers. And this is where, you know, there's, there's opportunity. And these are the, these are the, this is the future, I think, in this respect, uh, in many, not, not just for investment, but, uh, for the country. If we can retain this talent, uh, you know, this would be great. And, and this is where we're not just from Canada, but, but generally globally, there's a lot of interest going into this area. I would also say renewable energy is something that's very popular. Um, and renewable energy is something that there's, there's attraction in many ways here in that people want to set up renewable energy, uh, you know, greenfield. They want to come in and do it, but there's others who already have set it up and, and it's an interest for others to come in and consolidate their businesses in, in Croatia, right? So there's, there's a lot, plenty of possibility there as far as I'm concerned. And so you're saying that not only people with Croatian roots are bringing businesses over here, but people who had previously had no connection to Croatia are now investing in Croatian businesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shrewd, shrewd investors looking for opportunities. Um, there's no shortage of, of capital in the world these days to invest, especially considering you know interest rates in banks. Uh, people are looking or, you know, more profitable places to place their money and, uh, and, and they're looking for good value, right? And so this is where uh, I think we see a lot more activity coming in. I, I will see another incentive to all this is the EU funds uh, and next generation funds that are being made available now. They're available over the next six to seven years. There's, um, I think, well over 20 billion euros, 24 billion euros that's going to be uh, distributed. Some, some of this is already starting. Uh, this year and you know this is another attraction uh, for many of these investors in that um, you can get a portion of your investment uh, back to you uh, in most cases either very low interest or or for nothing uh, you, 
you get it, you get it paid for, right? So this this is definitely attractive, right, for for many investors uh, in, in addition to the local community. Yeah, it sounds like it's becoming more and more attractive um, investments in Croatia. I wanted to bring up you you brought up the tech industry over here, and I've been hearing that a lot lately. That in Zagreb in particular, and I think I heard Osijek, maybe I'm not sure about that one. Yep. Yeah, Zagreb, Osijek, but also Split and Rijeka. There are four different hubs, and you know the tech communities are, are strong. There's some very strong tech companies here, uh, starting with Infobip, which you've probably heard of, and Rimac, Nanobit. Um, you know, Rimac, Rimac, and uh, and and Infobip are, are both either you know one one is already finished the campus here in Zagreb, Rimac is, is the one who's co- is still building, the, the plans are processed. So, you know, the beautiful thing about those stories is that these are businesses that have gone global or co- are going global um, and they're keeping it here, you know, they're keeping the headquarters in Croatia, they're keeping the talent here, they're bringing the talent into here, right? And this is, this is a much better story than, you know, somebody being a startup and not getting that funding or the opportunity where they could and then having to go where the money is and, and leaving and their product becomes somebody else's product, another product of another country, right? That innovation. So yeah, the, the tech side, the developer side is, is very strong in this industry because all these businesses that I mentioned are, you know, very much to do with technology and, and with people's innovation. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure most people don't think of that when they think of Croatia, you know, an, an IT hub a tech hub. So I think that's something that's definitely changing from, you know, past stereotypes. Um, although I do, I do want to go into the census. We mentioned the census a couple times, the most recent one, um, that was what, just a few months ago. Um, and, you know, as you guys know, Croatia has, you know, lost a lot of people, and I think mostly due to economic reasons. You know, a lot of the population, the working population has gone to, I believe, Ireland and, and Germany are some of the bigger ones. Um, how do you go about reversing that trend? Well, I'll, I'll take that one first, and Mati, you can talk about it too, I'm sure. But, but uh, you know, this is what we're trying to do, and, and it's, there's no one answer to this. But uh, the, the big picture is to create an environment that gives people hope, right? And, uh, you know, more jobs, greater opportunities, entrepreneurship, um, having, you know, bustling industries or, or you know, sub-industries, uh, these ecosystems uh, being set up for the, you know, startups and, and, uh, and innovative types. Uh, this is, to me, you know, the only way to do this is, is to go towards the youth and, and make them more aware of what's going on and providing, providing the opportunities, the employment opportunities, right? And we, we have, to, that's got to be a, a long-term strategy. Nothing can be done overnight, but um, my understanding thus far has been the reason people leave, and you've mentioned, you know, there's economic reasons, but why is there economic? It's because people don't believe that it's going to be a good place to be, right? They, they don't see it. And there are certain industry segments here that are fantastic, that there is a great future, but, you know, you need to have a, uh, Starting, you know, tone from the top, and when I say tone from the top, tone comes from the government. Is you've got to have a, a positive feel uh, from them moving on throughout industry and, and, and organizations. The other side is obviously bringing in as much uh, business as we can into the country, which means investment, which means you know corporations coming in and setting up shop here. And to do that, you have to make it 
conducive. You have to be competitive, right? So you have a, I can just speak, I can even speak from a PwC perspective. We have countries where they set up shared service centers to do the work because it's cheaper labor. But, you know, we don't necessarily want to be cheap labor here. We want to sell the knowledge, the talent. And uh, we talked about IT and this is one, one place where, you know, if we can get more tech investment here, this is one, one way we can have one part of the, you know, population is very interested in this. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of great uh, talent that comes out of Croatia for them to stay here. Uh, but with that, you have a bunch of other industries that, that also get impacted. And, you know, with tourism, you have industries that are, you know, from real estate to construction, they all get impacted by how well it does, right? So increasing the offer, making it, you know, moving more towards five-star as opposed to mass tourism uh, creates a bigger bigger benefit down the line because in the end, um, how do employers pay, pay more money towards their people? And when I say that, I'm really talking about the youth who want to have a better starting point. You gotta make the taxes and the contributions to go with this. You've gotta you've gotta rationalize this and and make it more competitive to what it you know what is to other countries because a lot of countries around us, apart from Slovenia, they're much more tax efficient for the individual. I kind of agree more with uh, John's uh, analysis of the whole situation in Croatia, and I just kind of want to add like how I usually think about how Croatia could possibly change. Is if Croatia has a different mentality towards uh, people returning, if they thought, okay, what can we do to make sure that people will want to stay in Croatia and return to Croatia and make Croatia a very attractive country uh, for people to return to? I think that it would just it would help first of all the people that are coming back, but overall it'll help everyone's life. And I think that Croatia, if we want to put it into perspective, you know, Croatia has a GDP of around sixty-five billion U.S. dollars. And if you want to say that Croatia is like a Force 500 company, we can compare it to Walmart that has, you know, 500, over $570 billion in total revenue in 2021. So I think that Croatia needs to start thinking like, you know, especially the people at the top, they need to think like directors in a Force 500 company. They need to think, okay, how can we retain our employees or retain our people? And I, in my personal opinion, I think that you need to think, how do we invest the money that we're making into making the best growth, you know what I mean, to make our economy grow. And as John said, I think that uh, the public sector, definitely in Croatia, there are a lot of things that are inefficient about it. And I think that we need to cut down on inefficiencies. We need to invest in growth. I think that the EU funds will definitely be one of the opportunities that Croatia can take advantage of to grow the economy. But also I think that Croatia needs to really assess um, its inefficiencies and how to best tackle those inefficiencies to make growth and to invest in the private sector in, in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you just brought up the EU. Um, speaking of the EU, I mean, they are, of course, you know, beneficial for us, for Croatia. They've been, you know, sending a lot of money for different projects and things. I wanted to ask what your guys' thoughts were on the implications of transitioning transitioning to the euro um, next year. You know, do you see that as a positive or a, you know a negative or maybe a slight dip, and then it'll be positive or, or what? Yeah, that, that's a, in many ways to me that's a bit of a loaded question because there's depending on who you speak to, depending on perspective, you're going to get I think a different response, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, you know, from from one financial perspective, you can say we're going to have less foreign currency fluctuations, right? Uh, from a business perspective, so that's a one risk less. Uh, but on the other side, you know, things will become more expensive. We see appreciation of certain prices already being incorporated with EU eurozone, you know, uh, entrants in mind, right? And uh, higher prices don't necessarily always mean higher wages as well, right? And so there could be some disparity uh, across, you know, uh, the population, let's put it this way, uh, with the introduction of the euro. But again, this is this is speculation in many ways and not necessarily, you know, truly um, supported logic, um, but, but there's a case for this. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, there's people on the other end of that who will be getting, you know, earning more money because of it, right, uh, from a business perspective. And uh, if you are in euros, the, the, the thing that comes with that, let's just talk about tourism. You know, tour, with tourism up until now, we've had the Kuna really appreciate during the summer months because of the amount of people here and, and, and basically, you know, the increase in GDP during this time. And, and, and as such, the Kuna appreciated against the euro and you were able to get more euros than you normally would for certain services, right? Because the, the prices go up, demand is there. And uh, going forward, I think there's going to be a, a sensitive point where if you're, if you're in the eurozone, you are now going to be matched more directly with, you know, the competition in the region. When it comes to this, uh, it's going to be euro for euro when you're comparing to, you know, countries such as Spain and Portugal and these other places that people inevitably do compare to. Um, and this is where I think there's going to be a sense that even it's going to be pretty interesting to see the pricing and how that works in, in the tourism industry. Uh, so, you know, th there's there's a lot of perspectives to this and, and there's there's opportunities, but there's also pitfalls, right? And and um, how the market reacts, how people react is, is going to be very interesting because even even um, setting salaries, I'll just look at this. I'm an employer of many people here and, you know, we have uh, salary structure and grids based on kunas. And now, you know, there's going to be a fixed rate at a certain point in time, but when, when it comes to euros, uh, how we generate our money. We don't have all of our contracts in, in euros. We have them, you know, there's some US dollar base, there's some Croatian Kuna base, which are going to have to be upgraded to this. And these are, you know, not, not one contract at a time, but when you look at a larger volume of things, for me, uh, you know, we're going to have a risk here when, when we reprice things, right? And so there's, there's a lot of thoughts that go with this, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, the scaling up of, of many things using euro will will be, I won't call it challenging, it's just going to be a task where you have to think it through a bit, right? And, and uh, there'll be mistakes made, there'll be losses incurred, but there'll also be gains as well, right? So again, perspective is the important thing. Amante, do you have anything to add on that? No, I have to agree. And whenever you talk about economics, uh, economics is the dismal science. So you're always going to have, you know, you do one thing and it always... Uh, it's always going to affect something else. So it, it's going to be positive in some ways where probably more people are going to be more attracted to Croatia for investments, but also the other uh, pitfall might be, you know, uh, those disparities that John was talking about where, you know, like the, how are we going to convert from the Kuna to the Euro and what is that going to do for prices in the country? And there's definitely going to be an adjustment period quite a bit of the population. So we have to see uh, 
how the government handles it. And as John said, it, it, it really is speculation. And of course, everyone will always think of the worst case scenarios when, when speculating, which is a good thing. And uh, so we'll see how it, it works out. Yeah, like with any big change, I mean, there'll be positives and negatives and, you know, some level of adjustment period. Um, I wanted to break out into one sort of last question. I think this might be a difficult one. Um, and it sort of recaps, you know, a lot of what we were talking about before. But I wanted to ask, how can, you know, in talking about all these things and bringing people back and different policies and changes and, you know, going to the euro, all these different things happening in government, how can you preserve Croatia's culture and way of life, you know, being slower paced, you know, relaxing summers, the long coffee breaks, um, you know, sort of everything that outsiders like about Croatia and Croatians as well inside. Um, but at the same time, you know, making these changes and boosting the economy, um, higher salaries and solving some of these bureaucratic and political problems that we have. How do you find that balance? Mati, you want to go first on this one? Sure. Um, I just want to kind of address, uh, you know, having bureaucracy and let's say inefficient governance does not need to be the result of a laid back lifestyle. Uh, in my personal opinion, you know, and you know, in the West, we often say this uh, work smarter, not harder. And I think that solving the bureaucratic uh, processes, I don't think will necessarily affect the layback style. I think that it would just go hand in hand with the layback style because I think bureaucracy in a lot of cases, especially if it's inefficient bureaucracy, I think it just makes it harder for everybody that's involved in, uh, so whether or not getting a piece of paper, getting your citizenship, so on and so forth, if it's very bureaucratic and it's very inefficient, then it's more work for everybody that's involved eventually. So, I think that solving bureaucracy and, you know, keeping that laid back style, slower pace of life, I think it would definitely just go hand in hand. And, you know, Croatians have been trying to tackle, you know, many issues, like every country, every country has their issues, including Croatia, including all the countries that we have come from to return to Croatia. So I think that it just kind of all goes back to what, uh, me and John were discussing before about the Croatian economy, where I think it's necessary that the government assesses uh, reducing the public sector, uh, investing in, you know, research and development in startups in the private sector, and really propping up the private sector to build a better economy. And I think that if Croatia uh, maybe takes my, my comment about them thinking like a Forest 500 company, I think that we could see a different Croatia in the future, especially with the opportunities that are at our doorstep. Well, I think you brought up an interesting point um, with the work smarter, not harder. Um, that, yeah, if you do become more efficient, I mean, if anything, you're creating more time, you know, for yourself and exactly. getting things done quicker and easier and, you know, less stress. Yeah, I do think, yeah, you're right. That can go hand in hand with keeping the, the Croatian lifestyle and culture and, you know, not having it change into something. I mean, just as a horrible example that might not even be right, you know, Japan, you know, somewhere where, you know, the work culture is is so strong that, you know, you may not have as much time, as, as much off time. I don't know if that was maybe the right example to use, but 
just somewhere where the work culture overshadows the the life culture. Exactly, exactly. And it's like if you learn economics, like it's basically the law of diminishing returns that uh, you can work more hours. You know, you could be like Japan, United States, work, go over those over hours. But there comes a point where working those extra hours actually goes against you. You become tired. You don't have the focus and so on and so forth. So I think working smarter, not harder, definitely goes in even goes hand in hand even for Croatia's economic prosperity. So, add to that. Yeah, I would just say uh, you know um, you said word of the question nicely. Say how do you get that balance, and that's something that's uh, that's tough um, because you you need to get volume. Uh, obviously, we need more people, uh, but. The other part is is um, even if, if we have what we have, um, the industries that we have going here are what's important, right? So if we're going to focus on production factories and this sort of, and that's one one thing that you know creates a certain grind, right? And then if you're looking at services, and we have services in terms of tourism, but if I'm looking at tech, um, there's also you know agricultural production, these sort of things where. It's smart. Uh, that's a great thing. The great point brought up, Mata, is, is that even agriculture can be done a lot more smart, a lot more digitally these days. Uh, you know, you create a, a much easier lifestyle, a healthier lifestyle. That's also, again, productive. You're meeting the, the market. So even smart, smart industries coming in is very important. Uh, and for me, that means more, you know, when you talk about general population, you got to really promote entrepreneurism, right? Uh, so that people will be able to um, create their own businesses, be innovative, and then they get from that what they want. And, you know, the more you want, maybe the more you'll work, right? So, you know, not everybody wants to be in a cafe all the time. People have a need to be doing stuff, being busybodies, where others will, you know, truly appreciate that lifestyle, but it'll be available, right? And, and that's where I think where you can have a possibility to have that balance across a greater population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great answers from both of you guys, I think. Um, you guys are clearly well-versed, and you know what you're talking about. Um, and definitely a lot to think about in terms of policy and you know future policies and what can happen in the future. Um, I wanted to cap this off with just, just something fun, and I wanted to ask if you guys have a favorite beach in Croatia. <laughs> yeah, complete, complete 360, 180. <laughs> I've been to a lot of them and, and, and there's a lot of great beaches but uh, I want to I want to cheat a bit and give a couple answers if I could right I mean uh, you know Zlatnirat is great on bull that's fantastic but uh, and Brella has the nice uh, you know small pebbles and, and beautiful white beaches there but I, I one of my favorite beaches is actually in, on Korchua so I would say in, in a place called Lombarda I really like it a lot uh, they have a, a couple smaller uh, little beaches there, but where you can just walk out forever, and uh, and uh, and you're on sand, and it's it's very very nice. Oh man, this is a tough question because I I don't usually go to the beach that often. I'm more of a mountain mountaineer, uh, but uh, but uh, I would probably say some of, some of my favorite beach some of my favorite beaches in Croatia are on, on Brač. If you go to Milna, Milna is absolutely stunning. And um, I don't know, since I guess my dad's a Herzegovac, I gotta maybe say the Makarska Riviera, just find any secret beach that, you know, that you can park on the side of the road where there's not a lot of people. So 
anywhere in Tuchepi. You know, you know what, Monte. When you say that, the thought that comes to mind: if, if you get onto a boat or a catamaran or something, go, then you'll find beaches that are very private on the islands, right? Any island, literally. That's true. Where you have you'll have privacy, and you know, it doesn't need to have a name. The beach, <laughs> it's just going to be a exactly. nice little cove you come into, and you know, go to the beach for a bit and just enjoy the water and the privacy. Yeah, there's a lot of those tiny little coves that are super yeah. nice and and serene. And sorry yeah. again to completely pivot insanely quick i got in a little over my head you guys know a lot more than me <laughs> i didn't know how to recap that and you guys said <laughs> all that it's better all than i could that's for sure it's very good i think secretly john is hiding his favorite beach he knows exactly what it's called but he won't tell us <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, uh, they don't really have names don't worry about that <laughs> well in, 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 in the in the famous words of one of our our most famous soccer player uh <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you guys well you know i really appreciate you guys coming on to the podcast um sorry i took up maybe a little more of your time than you were expecting but we got a lot of great information from you guys and i don't know if i asked this i don't think i did but you know you guys have a website if you want to shout that out you know where can people find you or do you have a social media if they want to get in contact with crow diaspora or with you guys in general maybe yeah, for sure. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, but also you can visit yeah. our website, crowdiaspora.com. Okay, great. And, you know, I'll put some tag links um, when this goes up so people can click on that down below or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, thank you guys again so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Stanko. I really enjoyed it. That's it for today's episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you all enjoyed it. You can subscribe to the Patreon and check out the All Things Croatia Instagram page to stay updated. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, tips, or ideas, and make sure to tune back in to the next episode. Thanks again and vidimo se!